to this. So hello, um, very happy to uh, have this conversation with my friend Stephanie Scolio. Uh, and the reason why I have asked Stefano if we could do this is because I can see that he's uh, so present on social media uh, talking about COVID, talking about health, I assume, because most of the stuff that he's doing now is in Italian. Um, but I know Stefano because we met in 2011 in London, England, when we started studying homeopathy together. So I, 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 we spent four years together <laughs> and I know that uh, Stefano has a lot of awesome things to share and tell and that you know so much. Uh, so I would just like to make this little conversation here in English and maybe try and introduce you a little bit more to the English speaking ballroom and uh, so that um, everybody can get to hear what what your message is and what your take on things are and also what your initiatives around health are. Um, so that's why we are here. So hi, Stefano. <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. Well, uh, you know. Part of everything, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, but, but I think maybe, maybe uh, 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 we were picked to live through these times because I think that uh, uh, Right now, there's uh, there's people needed like you, and um, I hope that I can have a sort of contribution as well. I don't know if you know it, but uh, I, I have this uh, very small YouTube channel where I, I uh, show uh, footage from peaceful demonstrations because mm -hmm. a lot of the things that we represent and, and, and stand for, you know, we are now being categorized as domestic terrorists. So it's, uh, uh, I think it's good for the world to see what is actually going on and also just to meet people. Um, but Stefano, yeah. <clears throat> please tell me your background, you know, let's just get, you know, your titles, your you know, what have you been studying? Because you have not just studied homeopathy. Yeah, yeah, I have, I have too many titles and uh, some, sometimes that create confusion because let's say that the first half of my life, I, I devoted it mostly to uh, you, human studies. Um, you know, so I have a law degree from Italy a long, long time ago, another life. Uh, and then I have a, a master in political science from the United States and I have a, PhD from Canada, University of Toronto, uh, in philosophy with focused political legal philosophy. And then later on, uh, I started, I, I actually, what changed my life was the meeting with this microalgae from Klamath Lake, uh, who have become now, you know, my main focus of uh, both work and, and research. And uh, from the end of uh, the 90s and beginning of the two, of 2000, I started, um, working uh, in research with the University of Urbino first and now with many research centers. So I have, you know, like about 20 published uh, clinical studies and six uh, patents. Uh, and, um, and then in 2011, I decided that I wanted to also learn homeopathy, which uh, 
and, and that was spurred by, by various events in my life, one of, of which was that when I was very young, I was probably, I don't remember exactly, but between 20 and 25, I had a serious problem with my uh, respiratory system. I had a constant cough and cold. And, uh, and I was still uh, naive enough to believe that that could be helped by antibiotics. So I did a year of antibiotic and it got, it got worse. And then suddenly desperate, uh, I decided to go to an homeopath as a last resort. And he gave me a remedy and three days later I was fine. So that stuck, stuck in my mind and I decided that I, I really needed to, to know more about it and that's what I did. And, uh, and so we graduated together in 2015 with a Bachelor of Science in Homeopathy. Um, and then since I'm, I'm a constant uh, eternal student, uh, after uh, this uh, BS of the pandemics, uh, I, al I already had my great doubts, you know, from the HIV story, AIDS story. You know, I was one of those who believed that it was an invented virus like uh, uh, Kelly Mullis uh, and, and others. And, um, and I decided that I really needed to deepen my understanding of uh, microbiology. Uh, so my position has radicalized a lot in this last year. I've, I've reached positions that are much more radical than they used to be a couple of years ago. But also I'm taking a, a Master of Science in, micro, in Medical Microbiology still in London. Um, I finished the first year and I probably, hopefully I'm going to complete it by next uh, September. Uh, and I'm also learning a lot of things uh, more in detail through this master. But also I learned a lot uh, already in, the, in this last year because I'm one, I think one of the, of the few people who actually uh, decided to go and, and read and study all the all the articles that claim to have isolated the virus or the, to have proved that the virus uh, uh, actually caused the disease. And from the beginning, I saw it was a whole a big uh, fraud, a big swindle, uh, which has now been confirmed. I mean, from the beginning, I said by analyzing, uh, you know, Zoo and others, which was the first study done by the Chinese. Uh, talking about uh, the isolation of the SARS-CoV-2. And I saw that there was no isolation there. It was just taking the liquid from uh, a patient, uh, putting it uh, into uh, a culture of, uh, uh, of cells that could be of different types, monkey cell or, or human cancer cells. And then after three, four days, if these cells start, start to deteriorate, then that's for them, it's a proof that uh, actually there's a virus there and they call that the virus isolate. Now, clearly that was, a, for me, was ridiculous from the beginning. So I immediately started denouncing that uh, February of 2020. And now it's official because now there's, we have like, uh, you know, thanks to a Canadian lady uh, who's, who's done the collection of all the, Christine Matthews done the collection of all the FOIA done, uh, done around the world asking for the proofs of the isolation of the virus. And now we have like, I think more than 200 responses from all the government around the world saying that they don't have it. But the most important one is, I think is the, is the, the, the response to a FOIA by the FDA uh, where they actually answer with a very uh, impressive sentence, very final sentence 
because the, the folly actually was uh, intelligently organized because the guy who asked for you know, proof documentation about the isolation of the virus actually reported three quotations from the, uh, from the vocabulary. So they, they reported isolation, isolate, uh, and, and, you know, so that they wouldn't play around with words. And the response of the CDC, it wasn't, it wasn't FDA, it was the CDC, was the CDC was uh, the, the, the isolation in the sense described above is beyond the possibilities of virology. That's the, the answer. Yeah. And, and they continue by saying isolation in virology, in microbiology, means culture cell, cell culture. Uh, which, by the way, is not true because in microbiology, isolation means also isolation, like in the proper sense of purification, of separating something from something else. Yeah. Um, so now it's official. It's official in there. I'm actually coming out with a book in a couple of weeks in Italian and hopefully then in English, uh, where I also report various uh, answers, for, in for instance, from uh, Montagnier, who actually already in the 90s uh, admitted that there had been no isolation whatsoever of the virus and all there was was a sequencing, uh, which is a completely different thing because sequencing is essentially a, a, a computer construction uh, based on hypothetical primers, as they're called, uh, hypothetical genetic sequences that are completely hypothetical and developed uh, through the computer. So it's completely, I have no relationship whatsoever with anything existing, actually existing in nature. Uh, and also now we have uh, a declaration from uh, uh, the, the chief of the Spallanzani Hospital in Italy, which is the most important virological center in Italy, claiming the same thing that no, but in virology, isolation doesn't mean isolation, it means, you know, uh, cell culture, putting material in cell culture, which is the opposite of isolation, because as I say, isolation is kind of a subtraction process where you subtract a part from the whole of which is part. Putting something, a whole, like a liquid of a patient into another uh, cell culture is actually a multiplication process. You take a complexity and multiply it with another complexity. So it's, it's completely the opposite uh, uh, than, than isolation. Yeah. And although I realize that this touching this subject for many people is difficult because, you know, everybody's used to, uh, because let me, let me just say that uh, what is coming out now is not that just that this, uh, this virus hasn't been isolated. Mm -hmm. What's coming out is that no virus has ever been isolated because there's no possibility, there's no technique to do that, he, he, you know, it was acknowledged by Montagnier in the 90s, now he's coming with the CDC. And if you go and look at all the, I found a study uh, by, by Rivers in 1937, which was the, the, the scientist who kind of corrected partially the, the, um, the Cox postulate to apply to viruses, but he himself claims, you know, that viruses for us are only a hypothetical thing because we don't really, we can't really see them. We, we, don't, we don't really know, them, not know it. And so it's a long, long story that only a few people have, have had the courage to tackle. One of them, Stefan Lanka, for instance, from Germany. Uh, but, but that's what's coming out in a, in a more, more, more and more evident way. But you know, it's 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 uh, it's it's like there's like a little piece of knowledge that that is, um, is making sense to me. Um, 
in in this scenario you know where because like you know like my, my daughter she had meningitis right and she she had meningitis twice and 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 one time it was viral and <laughs> the the other time it was bacterial so her viral meningitis you know uh, uh, was one of those coincidences where it came eight days after a vaccine right um but the way that they explained to me that they did the test for her for meningitis because they did take her spinal fluid in the emergency room and i i saw it and i saw that it was milky or it, it was like con it was con contaminated with something it was not clear it was not pure um and then what they explained to me that they what they did how they 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 gave her the uh, diagnosis diagnosis of uh, um viral meningitis that was that's by excluding bacterial meningitis mm -hmm. so they grow it for bacteria okay. and and if there's no bacteria in there then then it, they call it viral meningitis so it's just a garbage can uh, uh, diagnosis yeah that's actually the the the, the main problem is that uh, very often viruses uh, are the the mask of uh, toxicity in other words you know, you right now. That's this is what happening right. What's happening right now with the mass vaccination for COVID. Many people, probably more than ever before, are getting very very sick. Many people die. Uh, many people are are you know com compromised health wise for the rest of their life. I mean, we're talking about millions of people in the world. Uh, and when this happens, how do they cover it up? By saying that it's, you know, they're, they're infected with a variant of, uh, of, of COVID, you know? Uh, so that, and, and, you know, I've also written uh, different various articles on, on the ridiculousness of the variant. I mean, uh, the way they, they, actually, uh, they actually created, the, generated the idea of the variant in England, it's something that, you know, it's even difficult to describe it as ridiculous as it is. In other words, they, the, the, the way in which they said that the variant was predominant in, in the UK, in Southern UK at that time, uh, in, in December, 2020, was by, through an article that was published by a, a Hong Kong uh, group of scientists uh, related to the World Health Organization, who actually claimed that the, the way they arrived at the conclusion that the variant was, was dominant is by looking at how many variants had been deposited by researchers at the GZID data bank. The GZID data bank is the bank of uh, viral sequences. Yeah. So I said, since in England from, from October to December, November, October and November, uh, the English researchers deposited more sequences related to this variant and other variants of the original virus, that indicates that the variant is dominant in the UK. No relationship whatsoever with a real situation, just what the researchers were doing. That's the way they generated the variant. And, uh, and, and again, you know, the, the way they tested is even more ridiculous because they decided to test it by, by see, I'll try to explain something that is very technical, but they, uh, you, you might know that the, the, the test for the COVID test, which is a PCR test, uh -huh. uh, they used to uh, look for three genes, right? They could be different, but let's say uh, in England, mostly was uh, 
the, the N gene, the ORF, and the S gene, which, which is supposed to be the, the, uh, the gene of the, pro the spike protein, right? Uh -huh. We've done all this for throughout uh, 2020, uh, at the beginning, until April. And then in April, the World Health Organization uh, may, uh, published a document that became law for all the laboratory in the world, saying that they didn't need to find all three uh, genes anymore, only one was enough, which was uh, of course ridiculous because clearly the only reason for that as uh, some, some scientists uh, like Mike Eden have pointed out uh, was just to make it more possible to find uh, positive, positive people, right? <laughs> And, and again, for me, there was no virus, but even for someone who believes that there is a virus, if the virus is present and, 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 and virulent and active, clearly you have to find all the three genes of the three different parts of the virus if the virus has to be whole. Yeah. If you only find one, as Mike Eden pointed out, it could just be a fragment that was left there of a virus that you eliminated, right? But of course they needed more positive people, so they passed only to one, right? One gene. So for all 2020, every time you'd be positive to the N gene or the off gene, uh, you'd be positive to COVID-19, right? Yeah. From December 2020, Public Health England states that from now on, if you're positive to the N gene or the off gene, but negative to the S, you're positive to the English variant. Okay. <laughs> They're like really, it's like and they, and they add and they add. Of course, this is valid only from now on. It cannot apply to the past no. clearly because if you applied it for the, to the past, sixty-six percent of the positive people would be positive to the English variant when when still there was no English variant. Yeah. So it's com yeah. it's complete a complete joke. The problem is that these completely ridiculous things are accepted by all the mainstream are published in important journals. No reviewer dares to claim that you know, the king is naked. Uh, I mean, it's, it's incredible. They can do whatever they want at the most ridiculous level and, and nobody objects. And they have that, but you and and it's 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 not that 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 this is the first time in the history of pharmaceutical products that this is happening, because there's always been fiddling around uh, uh, ways of of uh, making a diagnosis, you know. So, I, you know, for instance, uh, um, with antidepressants. So, if there's a list of twenty five things that that can be assigned that you are depressed, then maybe you needed 12 of those symptoms for, for a, a GP to be able to subscribe antidepressants to you. And then if, if the, uh, the lobbyist from the pharmaceutical company gets that list cut down to 10 symptoms, well, then there's a rise in depression, but is there really, you know, there's, there's a rise in prescriptions for antidepressant medicine, but maybe the picture, you know, hasn't, it's just that the pictures just get skewered by this ridiculous and evil manipulation of numbers that, yeah. So, and, 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 you know, when, when this whole COVID thing that's, that came straight away, I think that just by the sniff of it, I was just like, this is completely BS. And, and that's simply from knowing the pharmaceutical industry. Right. Yeah, let's say that uh, as, as, uh, as I 
started saying already from February of last year, uh, to me, what's happened with these fake pandemics is got to do with the need to, you know, uh, vaccinate all the population. Maybe like some people are saying to help with decreasing the population since, uh, you know, many people are dying or getting very sick. But I think there's other reasons, you know, some other people have claimed rightly so that this is part of a great reset, you know, of a great change in society where, you know, everything is more centralized, everything is more medicalized, uh, small independent, small and middle independent uh, businesses are put out of business and everything is centralized in big companies controlled by the big corporate, by, you know, the big banks and so forth. This is certainly the, the direction uh, where this pandemic is leading us, these fake pandemics. But I also claimed that uh, the reason why they did it in 2020 and not in 2018 and not in 2022 is because there was an urgency. And that urgency was to tackle the, the financial disaster that was preparing. All the economists of all the, the, of all the orientations uh, since uh, June 2019 were saying that before June 2020, there would be a financial collapse much, much bigger than 1929, something that we'd never seen before. The reason for that was the fact that, uh, uh, if you remember 2007, 2008, the, crisis, the economic crisis was related to the derivatives and, uh, and, and the debt uh, uh, related to derivatives there was like uh, uh, twice as much as the uh, world uh, G GMP, uh, yeah. national product was like 150 trillion or something like that. Now, one would expect that having gone through that uh, disaster then, uh, they would have put a limit on this possibility of betting through derivatives, you know, on, on everything. No, now in 2019, we, we were at a, at a stage where uh, that twice as much had become 20 times as much. We're a, a, a million and 200 trillions, uh, a 1,200 trillions debt from the five major banks in the world. So they're all broken, they're, they're all uh, failed. Yeah. And the problem was that they didn't have any money to support uh, normal economic activity because of this debt. So if this had come out when you know the, the, the budgets were to be uh, deposited and so forth, of course, these banks would be completely collapsed and people probably would be put, put in jail and all the people who are behind this, you know, talk about Rothschild and company and so forth, probably would have met their end. So what better than, you know, stopping the economy, cooling it down, not because of the bank's problem, but because of a virus, nobody's fault, you know? So now the economy is shut down, uh, and for one year, they, they, they managed to, you know, keep the, the bank crisis abreast and to push that politics that they want to push that I said before, you know, destroying the middle, uh, small middle businesses, centralizing everything, um, medicalizing everything and, and turning the population into a, 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 a group of people who have no energy, no ability to think, because when you're sick, you know, yeah. you're, just, you're just at the mercy of, uh, 
doctors and, 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 and politicians. So that's where we are now. Um, the, the thing is, the, the good thing and the only thing that keeps me hoping is that that economic situation has not been solved. It's still there. Uh, and, it, and very likely we're, we're now facing a, a, um, one of the problems that have happened in 2020 is that um, after, because of the pandemics, for the first time in history, the, the European Central Bank and the, and the Federal Reserve in the US uh, eliminated any limit, removed any limit to printing money. So they, print, they printed in one year as much money as the last 10 years. And now we're in a situation where in the US, whereas there's always been a, a kind of a relationship with highs, highs and lows, but uh, uh, around money available and uh, GMP and gross national product, right? Because money, it's necessary to support economic transactions. So there's a relationship between money circulating and gross and, and economic activity. Now, this has been always until 2019. 2020, we got to a point where versus 22, 22 trillion dollars uh, of national uh, domestic product in the US. In the US now we have 45,000 um, trillion uh, of, of money. So more than twice as much as the economic activity. That is the reason why now we're in a big uh, uh, inflation situation, right? Uh, why they say in the US that there's 7% inflation, very likely is much more than that, because I know, uh, you know, raw materials have grown like two, 300%. Uh, there's beginning to be problem of supply. I mean, the situation is getting really, really bad in economic terms. And so we don't know what's going to happen, but very likely these things somehow are going to come to to us to a final, uh, you know, confrontation about what's going on at the economic level. Yeah, yeah. So well, this is yeah. Yeah. no, uh, yeah, no, uh, I, I, yeah, it's. But but I just I just you know so so so, so that's you know of course it's always about money you know that there's like. And, and, and I have this feeling that, that we are becoming like minds <laughs> that, are, that are being mined. So in, instead of being mined, then, the, then there's something being injected into us. So in that way, we become like a source of income. So, you know, you know uh, uh, there's, there's also the, all this kind of like pre predictive medicine uh, where, where uh, uh, or what do they call it? Early warning symptoms. Mm -hmm. So that you, you get like a... A blood test, uh, and then it says, "Oh my goodness, it looks like your child could develop leukemia. We better start treating now." For instance, uh, yeah. where, where it becomes all these theoretical um, uh, diagnoses, you know that, that 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 even before you have a sneeze or a cough or a bad tummy or a lost appetite or a temperature or something like this. Then you can get a diagnosis very early, and and these things, of course, are being worked on. And 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 I have met it also because they were they were researching on it in the hospital that my daughter was in, and they would come and ask for blood and 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 um, data from from her monitors, um, but <clears throat> because that was what they were doing, what they were working on, and then it just becomes this thing of you know this medical as 
authoritarian system that we are definitely working towards right now. Who's to say that your doctor can't say, oh my goodness, we saw that in your child's bi-monthly blood sample that there's a, a sad development towards leukemia. So we're just going to start treating aggressively right now. And if you don't agree to this, then we will take your child away from you. So it becomes, it becomes this kind of like carte blanche just to, to make money on human bodies, on our 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 bodies and our children's bodies it's really freaky yeah yeah i one thing that i'm i'm uh, i'm uh, actually arguing lately is that uh, really one other big confrontation that is going on now um it's uh, between the what we call pasteurian medicine and what we call we can call uh, you know the the um, the, the other Medicine, in other words, the 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 the, uh, the final showdown between what is called the, the germ theory and the terrain theory. Right. Uh, you know, the people like uh, Claude Bernard and Bechamp actually stated that uh, the terrain is one hundred percent; it's all, is everything, and the germ is nothing. Whereas the Pasteurian tradition claims that you know the germ is the cause of the disease. Yeah. Now. I always say that uh, when we interpret this sentence, the terrain is everything and the germ is nothing, we really need to stick to the meaning of the sentence because the meaning of the sentence is the terrain is 100% and the germ is 0% because often this is, even in alternative circles, is interpreted as saying, oh, the terrain is very important. And so the, the germ is there, it causes the disease uh, but of course, it depends if the terrain is strong or not strong enough or not to counteract the germ activity. In reality, in this tradition, the terrain is everything and the germ is nothing, means that the only disease that is really, is really possible is what is called intoxication, mm -hmm. the poisoning of the body. Because, um, for instance, in Bechamp, his theory of mic microzymes, or, or which has taken then up by Gaston Messens and his somatids, for instance, right? The idea from, fundamentally is that all the bacteria that are in our body are actually generated by our body itself. It's called pleomorphism, right? There's these, uh, um, there's these uh, beings which looks like viruses, which are possibly exosomes that would probably be something like the microzymes of Bechamp. We, there's a beautiful uh, video that you can find on YouTube if you go and look uh, Gaston Nessin. He has some video uh, where he, he, he actually, uh, he, he created a, a, a microscope that was uh, with an ability to increase 30,000 times. Yeah. So you actually see living things at a, at a detail and at a depth that you can see with anything else. And he has a video that he made where you see all these microscopic, very microscopic points of kind of light that move very fast and that very likely are the somatids or microzymes. And the idea is that if you're healthy, they're just there and very likely they're probably builder of cells, yeah. of tissues, right? But if you get intoxicated and poisoned, the first step that the body does is turn those into bacteria. Because bacteria are what helps your body clean the, the poison. Now, I found this 
for instance, I found the proof of this in a, in a study that I did recently for my microbiology uh, degree. Yeah. Uh, when I, I looked at this study, because 20 years ago when I started studying microbiology on my own, I, 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 I saw that, uh, there's my daughter. Uh, <laughs> oh, how big I, is she now? Oh, hi, hi, so good to see you. How old are you now? Yeah, go, go get your kid. Okay. How, how old is she now? Seven. Seven, seven. Almost there, yeah. <laughs> so cool. She's Thank very, you. moved to England because when, the, when in Italy in 2016, they started introducing mandatory vaccination for kindergarten children, I decided that to, to go to go away. But anyway, going back. So the idea is that, for instance, I did, uh, I did a report on this study uh, because again, I, as I said, 20 years ago when I started studying microbiology, there were three categories of bacteria. The good ones, the neutral ones, like E. coli that is supposed to be okay if it's not too much, but becomes problematic when it's, when it grows too much. And then the toxic ones, the negative ones. And among those, there were Clostridia. Clostridia were the worst, right? Yeah. Then in the last 10, 15 years, it comes out that Clostridia are essential for health because they are the ones who actually recycle uh, uh, toxins in, the, in food, especially, um, um, uh, for instance, milk, uh, uh, how do you call uh, the, the, the milk uh, protein? Lactose? Or, or lactose, lactose, or, or, or casein, right? And they recycle it. And they actually are very, very important in maintaining the integrity of the intestinal membrane, right? So how do you, how do you fix that with the idea that they're toxic? They changed their tune and they started saying, oh, most clostridia are okay, but there are a couple who are toxic, right? Who are pathogenic. Clostridium difficile and clostridium, the other one, I, I, remember, I don't remember. I'm, I'm doing this. Okay, so uh, what happened is that in the study that was supposed to prove that Clostridium difficile is actually pathogenic goes as follows. They took quails who are alactasic, meaning they don't digest lactose. Yeah. And so they injected the Clostridium difficile into, these, uh, uh, in, into the gut of these quails, and then they started feeding them with the lactose. Yeah. Right? Now, for eight days, there was no damage from the lactose and there was a great, a huge growth of Clostridia. From the ninth day, they started having damages from the lactose they were, you know, feeded with, yeah. right, fed with. Now, the interpretation of the, of these uh, researchers was that, see, when the Clostridia became so many, then they started making uh, the, the, the lesions in the, in the guts of the, of the, of the, of the birds, right? Yeah. Very clearly, the opposite is true. Yeah. You feed a poison to these quails. For eight days, the clostridia were actually able to recycle this, this uh, poison, this lactose, so as not generate any damage. Finally, they couldn't do it anymore, and they started having the, uh, the damage, right? This, so what is actually shows association, meaning there's an increase in the bacteria. Yeah. That was interpreted without proof as proof of causality. Same thing with the Helicobacter pylori, right? Helicobacter pylori is actually the normal inhabitant of our stomach and uh, it's always been there. 
And actually, there's even the study that are supposedly used to prove that it's cause causative of ulcers actually claim that ulcers develop when Helicobacter pylori diminishes, right? The, the thing is, the more you intoxicate your body, the more you stress your stomach, the more you stressed out, the more you uh, eat bad undigestible food and you don't digest, the more Helicobacter pylori grows to help you. Of course, the idea is that, you know, grows Helicobacter pylori, you have ulcer, no, nothing to do with modern uh, uh, you know, food, uh, uh, modern stress uh, or modern drugs. Yeah. Then you start with antibiotics and of course you make the situation worse because you're actually killing the only, the only friend you have there in the stomach. So the whole story goes like that. So what is again, going back to the theory of pleomorphism, the Bechamp and, and, so, and, and, and his followers, is that after bacteria, if the, thing, if the intoxication continues and you don't do anything to change it, the next step is fungi, mushrooms, right. candida, yeah. right? And finally, the last one is parasites. Now, all this has to do with the fact that either you treat yourself well or you're going to get sick and you're going to get, uh, you know, pathogenic but because it's your fault. And my, my point is that this tradition brings, to, brings up and make at the center your responsibility for yourself. No responsibility for yourself is the, the base of liberty, of, of freedom. Yeah. The other tradition takes away the responsibility from you because it's somebody else's fault, it's a bacteria, it's a virus, it's something from the outside. Take away the responsibility for, for your health from you. At that point, you become dependent on whoever gives you, you know, the drug to kill the bacteria and you lose your freedom. So this is also a lesson in the fact that responsibility of freedom, which I always often presented as opposite are actually one and the same. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And of course, you know, I think it also just like harmonizes so good with homeopathy. Right. You know, where, where it's, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I often use the, the example when, when I talk to people and, and when I uh, show people how to use homeopathy themselves, it's like these symptoms that we have, it's just the, light in the dashboard of the car that is lighting up you know but we don't take the car into the into the garage to get the dashboard fixed you know <laughs> it's a it's there's something deeper in the system that needs to be addressed and of course it is you know the the contamination that we have and we get this contamination you know from from everywhere and now right. we're getting it injected directly into our bodies yeah personally no, I think that actually drugs and vaccines are, are today the major cause of disease in the world, the, the, the number one cause of disease in the world, because we know that uh, people above 65, 75% of people above 65 take at least one drug a day. Yeah. So clearly all the people, you know, 70, 80 is the one who die for COVID have been taking three, four, five, ten 10 dr drugs a day for, for many years. You know, and and now the even vac all the children are vaccinated. Now every, they want to vaccinate everybody. I mean, disease is rampant uh, because of that. So why do you think they're so keen to get this specific product into all of us? Do you think that there's a more sinister? Um... Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I well, I mean, there's one reason that is very simple to understand, and that is clearly, for instance, the reason why 
I've always thought they want to vaccinate children so badly is because a vaccine, a, a multi-vaccinated ch child who hasn't fixed it some other way by detoxifying and so forth, it's a client for life, right? Yeah. Is a, is a, is a person who tends to always be sick, doesn't have enough energy to, you know, create anything independent, depends on, on, on the government, depends on the politician, depends on the health system, on the doctors. So it's a client for life. Yeah. And now the fact that they want to do this to all the population means they want to turn all the population into a, a population of slaves, essentially. Yeah. Uh, because when, when you don't have energy, when you're always sick, you can only be you know, a slave to somebody else. Yeah, and what, what about graphene oxide? Is that something you have looked into? Yeah, uh, I've always been a little bit resistant because, okay, let me start what I think about the vaccines. My, my take on, the, on these vaccines is different than uh, most. And, but I based it on, on the scientific literature on uh, mRNA technology yeah. or DNA technology of the last five years where they actually say all the researchers who are actually involved with developing these drugs. So we're talking about people who are favored in this drug. Yeah. But they acknowledge until mid-2021 that uh, they say something like, oh, this technology has a great future, has great potential, but as of today, we haven't solved a fundamental problem, that of its delivery into the cells. Yeah. And, and they quote five elements that prevents this uh, material to get into the cell. Because, you know, uh, vaccines are supposed to be something that put in, into you an antigen, right? A piece of the pathogen or whatever. These vaccines don't do that. They say, we, we say, we put into you genetic material that enters into the cells, gets into the ribosomes and instructs the ribosome to produce the spike protein. So in the end, you always produce the antigen but it's done through this genetic uh, uh, path, right? Mm -hmm. The problem is, my claim is, and I'm probably gonna, I'm, I'm working with a lawyer to, to do a case in, in Europe on this. Uh, the thing is, if we can prove, and now we can prove it is proven, that they, they, they don't manage to enter into cells, and so they don't produce any spike protein, they cannot be considered vaccines. And so they have to be taken away the from the market. They're, they're just, you know, genetic uh, drugs uh, with no function except that of poisoning people. So they, they quote they, they quote five fundamental uh, elements yeah. that prevents the vaccine to enter in the cell. One are the the what is called the the extracellular ribonuclease nucleases. There are enzymes that attack. Uh, genetic any foreign genetic material and they're very abundant in the skin and in the blood so as soon as you inject they attack the the, the material and they this you know disrupt whatever and and, and disgregate whatever you you have put in yeah. uh, they say that they managed to reduce the impact of these uh, ribonucleases by adding some amines into the into the vaccine besides the lipids and the nucleic acids. So let's assume, my example is, let's assume that yes, these amines take the impact, part of the impact of, this, uh, of these enzymes and maybe 50% of the vaccine survives and gets near the cells, right? Yeah. So at this point, they have, it has to enter the cells. And the reason they try to do that is by adding these synthetic lipids, fats, 
that are supposed to be invaginated by the cells through, uh, uh, through endocytosis and brings them in the cell. Yes. Except they write in these articles, in many cases, this endocytosis is an azocytosis, means they invaginate this material, but just to keep it out of the cells, right? right. So let's assume that another 50% of the 50% enters the cell, yeah. down to 25%. There's a system inside the cell, and this is acknowledged by all the researchers, uh, is, is unquestionable. There's a system which is called of the endosomes, lysosomes, that are vesicles that form, uh, uh, capture whatever enters and present it to the lysosomes, which are enzymes that the, disgregates and then expel the material. This system is recognized to um, uh, capture, uh, dis disgregate, uh, and disaggregate and expel more than 98% of what enters, more than 98%. So that means of, the, of those 25%, you're left with like 1%, maybe one microgram. Whatever is there, left there, that little bit that is left there, there are now the endocellular, intracellular ribonucleases, the same enzyme that were outside at the beginning, right? And they actually finish up the work and they'll never get to the ribosome. And then there's the fifth element, the most important, claim, claim these people, claim these researchers, that actually makes the other four irrelevant. Yeah. Is what is called the immunogenic immunogenicity of these vaccines. Immunogenicity means, as they call it, the fact that they're self-adjuvant. What that means means they're toxic in themselves. You know, adjuvant in vaccines for children is, for instance, aluminum, a poison, a neurotoxic poison. Why do they add that? Well, they, the reason is because if they put you in the vaccine that uh, piece of dried cell culture, because that's where the, the virus that is supposed to be in the vaccine mm -hmm. is a piece of uh, freeze-dried uh, cell culture that we talked about it before, right? So even so you don't even know what's in there. There's just, you know, putrescent proteins or stuff like that. So if you inject that into somebody, yeah, it's not good, but it doesn't do much. The immune system is it not going to react a lot. It eliminates it very quickly. Yeah. So what they say, well, let's put a real poison there. Yeah. Attached to it, so the immune system is is forced to uh, react very badly, and at that point learns also to recognize the virus that is attached to the, to the aluminum. Right, that's the the reasoning behind it. Yeah. Uh, here they say we don't need to add any any aluminum or any other adjuvant because the synthetic mRNA or DNA and the synthetic lipids are so toxic in themselves that no need to add anything else. And they say, we are at a stage where we don't know how much dosage we need to use of these vaccines. Because if we put too little so that the, the, the immune system is not gonna get too upset and is not gonna you know, attack yeah. too aggressively the material, then nothing happens because it's too little. If you put enough to have an impact, the immune system attacks it and disrupts everything very, very quickly and, and, and uh, generates millions, if not billions, of nanoparticles of this toxic material that distributes all over the body. Now, this view that in Italy, at least I'm the only one who presented, I think, probably in the world, yeah. because I've, uh, you know, everybody has got, to, has got to do with the spike protein, which doesn't exist. It's not produced. 
you know, and the other, the, the good thing about this is that vaccine people are not contagious. They do, they, they do not uh, create any contagion with any everybody else. So you can stay close to any vaccinated people. And unless you're, uh, you know, mentally unstable because you're afraid of it, so you can get sick for that, nothing is going to happen to you. Okay, so that's the good thing. But uh, as I said, I, I'm the only one who's, who's pushed this theory, which is based on, on the only literature available. There's no other literature. Now this has been proven because there's a Japanese study that uh, I actually translated with translate myself into Italian uh, in a way that anyway makes sense. So now there's a friend of mine who has a Japanese wife who's looking to it, but I'm pretty sure it uh, it's, it's correct. Uh, and this study, which was a, is a study on the biodistribution of the Pfizer vaccine, yeah. it was done in collaboration with Pfizer. It was, it was kept secret uh, uh, because they didn't want people to know what was in that study. But then again, another FOIA, Freedom of Information Act uh, request, made it public. Yeah. And so we got hold of it. And what comes out is that what you find is that unaltered uh, vaccine material. The, the, what they did is they, 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 they tagged the, the, the mRNA with an enzyme, with a fluorescent enzyme called, called luciferase yeah. and feeds with the radioactivity so as to see what it would, where they would end up. Now, yeah. if this material had entered the cell, it would be metabolized. So the lipids would be turned into cholesterol or kilomicrons, right? It yeah. wouldn't stay the way it is. Same thing for the mRNA would be metabolized into single nucleic acids, right? Yeah. So you wouldn't, have, you, you wouldn't be able to find it in the body. Yeah. Instead, they found 50% of it unaltered into the feces of the mice and another 90%, 82.5% of the other 50%, they found it unaltered into the main, all over the body, in all the organs, and especially in four organs, the liver, the kidneys, the, the uh, milza, as you said. Um, the mil the, 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 um, it's called milt in Danish as well. The, um... spleen, spleen, spleen. Yes, yes. Liver, spleen, uh, kidneys, and female ovaries which seem to have a particular strong attraction for this uh, uh, synthetic toxic material. But there's also quite enough in the, in the bone marrow, there's some in the brain and so forth. Unaltered the way it is. That's right. a proof that of what I'm saying, that it doesn't get into the cell, so it doesn't get metabolized into the cells, remain as it is, but is exploded in billions of nanoparticles that deposit all over the body and, and the problem is, there's in the literature, it's clearly specified that this material uh, being nanometric, so be, being infinitesimal, it's very difficult for our body to eliminate it from the organs. And it stays there, uh, doing its toxic activity. That's why I say usually the second dose or the third dose is the worst, because you add another layer of toxicity into one that it's already there. You know, and sooner or later it's gonna to get to a point where, you know, some people get the bad effect right away. Some people have lost the, their eyes, uh, yeah. their sight, some people have died, some people have got paralyzed even after the first, but many people have gotten much worse 
results after the second because of this uh, ad addition effect. So yeah. um, that's that's what's happening. And uh, you know, my calculation is that now in Europe, see, if you go to Udra Vigilance, which is the the site where you're supposed to report. Um, uh, ad, uh, um, adverse ev events, right? And of course, they do all they can to avoid people reporting it. You know, all doctors say, oh, no correlation, there's no correlation. Yeah. To report it because it's now been, it used to be a, 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 a site on its own. After they saw that there were too many people reporting the cases, they removed it and they brought it inside the general uh, European medicine agency sites, which is a huge site with uh, millions of pages. And so now it's becoming even more difficult to find it. In any case, last number that we have there was uh, something like uh, about 30,000 people, 30,000 deaths yeah. on 300 million doses. Yeah. Uh, and then 2 million or two two and a half million people uh, with significant adverse effects the half of which, 50% of which, unrecovered. So probably chronic. Yeah. Now, what I say to this is that there are there have been few studies on passive vaccine vigilance, which is what they're doing. They were supposed to do active vaccine vigilance because it's an experimental vaccine. So you would have to do an active vigilance, right? And go and try to get all the cases. Now they only do passive vaccine vigilance. Now there's a study of 2010 done by a, a group of scientists commissioned by the American government. So you can get more official than that. Yeah. Uh, they conclude that in, in cases of uh, vaccine, passive vaccine vigilance, uh, the number of cases reported are always less than 1% of the actual ones, right? So you have to, you have, according to this, you have to explode those numbers by 100. So. 30,000 people is 3 million people dead, two, 2 million people are 200 million people damaged. You know, maybe we're not that much, but we're not far, far off from it because, you know, me, myself, in my little town in Italy, I know six people who died after the vaccine. Of course, no, nobody says that the vaccine has no, something. No, 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 but I, I had an, a family member that said, yeah, where we were talking. So what about next week? And it's like, no, no, we're going to a, to a funeral. We seem to be running to funerals all the time right now. It's like, and, 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 and another thing that also really irritates me, you know, because when you have an experimental product and we are still doing the research, there's no finished research. Then as you know, my daughter, she goes to school in England and, and I get these letters about, give consent for this vaccine, give consent for this vaccine. So uh, I didn't give consent uh, for the flu vaccine, but then of course, a couple of days later, they were like, yay, now we can give the COVID vaccines and we're gonna do it on the same day as the flu vaccines. Yeah. How are, you, how are they ever gonna be able to collect any data? I mean, it, it almost seems like they don't want to. <laughs> no, no. They don't care, they, they don't need any data, they know. The people who need to know know that uh, you know it's doing all the damage it's doing. In fact, you you're talking about the graphene, right? Yeah. Personally, I've always I've always been hesitant to talk about uh, uh, foreign materials because 
you know, you need to prove that unless, you know, otherwise you're gonna be accused of being a charlatan or whatever, right? Yeah. So, and since the material is, that is declared to be there, it's already so toxic to justify whatever happens, there's no need to add anything else. Having said that, uh, I'm now pretty much convinced that there's other material in there because the Japanese government withdrew two million and a half doses of Moderna because they found steel and nickel particles in the vaccine. Yeah. I saw, see, one other thing that I did, although I don't practice enough, I, I did a course uh, and I have a, a, a dark field microscopy, which I think is probably the best microscopy available uh, short of the one that Gaston Nessens had, but apparently he never, he never sold it or never made it available to anyone else. Mm. Uh, if somebody knows that I'm wrong, please contact me because I'd be interested in acquiring one. Uh, uh, but you know, the dark field microscopy, I saw like a, a, a case where they, they tested the blood of a person and it was a normal blood, normal situation. Then they did the vaccine. Then they tested again the same person with the dark field microscopy and you could see a very big uh, uh, black particle uh, with this situation, which was called rollo of, yeah. of uh, ultraside that actually collect around it, uh, which is a the, the beginning formation of, of uh, uh, tr thrombi. I don't know how you say in English, like uh, a blood uh, right? Uh, because of course they 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 do it to protect the body from the, the foreign material. So clogs themselves are a way of the body to protect itself. That's the way from. If you keep poisoning it, these clogs get too many and your arteries get clogged and you get, uh, you know, a heart attack or whatever. But initially, anything that the body does is always a way of protecting itself and protecting the most important vital centers. Exactly. But, but I think, you know, the whole, you know, the, the, the people that I have treated uh, with, uh, let's just call it post-vaccine syndrome. <laughs> it's in the blood. It's the blood. It's like really weird sensations of, of uh, um, um, it feels like I'm going to have a nosebleed, you know, like as yeah. if there's like something, something here that is pushing. And then just, and also because it's like a, a full body experience. And, and then, you know, I know that you only mentioned the, uh, the ovaries, but also with the testes, you know, that there's, there's a big soreness, heaviness, pain. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I'm definitely going to dive in to study blood more because that's one thing we didn't study a lot in homeopathy. Or maybe yeah. it's not covered that much in homeopathy because we don't do any blood tests or you know, don't anyway, uh, maybe we can ask about the color of blood, but, but that's about it. But uh, there's definitely a lot. Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, there's, a, there's something that is positive in homeopathy and that is focused on symptoms, you know, and symptoms are much more important than any analysis that you can do. You know, person have become much, very skeptic of any, you know, uh, even blood test, regular blood test and so forth, because they don't really tell you what's going on for real. So no, no. I'm much more, I'm, I'm much more eloquent than any. Uh, having said that, I think that uh, mostly for research, I don't even know if for diagnosis, you know, because again, myself, I prefer to work with the symptoms. Yeah. But in terms of research, 
you know, um, a, a, a microscope like the dark field microscope may, gives you the av availability to look into things, into live blood, which you wouldn't be able to with a normal microscope. And so get a, a much more real situation. Yeah, then, yeah. And I'm in a group. With, I'm in a group, uh, uh, you know, of health practitioners that we meet up every so often. And there is one. They have a clinic where they do a, a live blood analysis. Right. And she's bringing us uh, pictures as well, so we can see some yeah. of the weird stuff. That, of course, it's difficult for me to know what it is that's weird about it because <laughs> I haven't looked. Well, sometimes at it's difficult for everybody because you know there's always new things and. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but you were mentioning about treatment. Uh, you know that I work, I mentioned before that I work with this microalgae. Yes. And uh, we're actually collecting data, very interesting data, because we, uh, I set up a, a protocol for uh, counteracting the damage of the vaccine. Yes. If you do it or after you've done it. And uh, we have a lot of, we have hundreds of cases of people who did actually vaccine taking this protocol, which includes four different products. Uh, and they didn't have any side effects, yeah. any bad effects. Yeah. Now we're also collecting uh, uh, like blood analysis before and after. And it's interesting because we have, we're collecting a lot of material showing that before the vaccine and after the vaccine, if you take these four products, there's no change whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. There's no worsening whatsoever. And also we have a lot of cases of people who did the vaccine and then took the, the protocol and of course, they have val values that are completely altered, you know, inflammatory, uh, immune, and so yeah. forth, completely altered. Uh, and then about after a month of doing the program, it's completely normalized. So we're actually collecting this and, and soon we'll be publishing it into a special booklet. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah. uh, I am very, very interested in that. And and But I would like you to talk about your, your LG products as well, because you know, uh, I was so lucky to um, have some from you when uh, we started together. And I remember one time uh, that was in a class where I, I, I don't know if it was a real dose or if it was a double dose or what it was, but I just remember going, is this legal? Because I just oh, felt, yeah. <laughs> do you remember? Like I had this surge, this crazy surge of energy mm -hmm. and I just felt so good. It was like, not to mention the, the thing you wrote to me about the Nutriflora probiotic, where you wrote to me best freaking probiotic ever. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, but I'm a, I'm a fan and we have to get this near well, me. We're starting distribution in North America as well, so we, we should be, it's, it's going to be available very soon. Yeah. Um, so, so tell, yeah, tell us about it. The, the, the main product is called Clamextra. Yes. And it, uh, it's a sachet uh, that you actually dissolve in water and drink. It's a, it's a taste that I would say 95% of people like. There's always somebody who doesn't <laughs> like it, but 95% of people like it. And it's a composition of two extracts. One extract of this microalgae, which, was, which, was, which is Klamath Lake algae, is called Clamine. And, uh, and that's what you tasted and gives you that burst of energy because it uh, concentrates uh, a fundamental molecule that is in the algae, which is called phenolethylamine, which is also called the molecule of love because <laughs> we produce it ourselves when we're in love and when we're happy. And of course, we don't produce it when we're not in love and when we're unhappy. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so 
This phenylethylamine with synergic molecules that make it actually available because one of the problems that if you took phenylethylamine on its own, um, it would be rapidly degraded by enzymes, which are called monoamine oxidase B enzymes. Uh, it would never reach the brain or any other area because it would be already degraded at the level of the stomach. The studies done, done in the 90s where they actually gave up to two grams of phenylethylamine, which is a huge dose. Yeah nothing happened, neither good nor bad, because it was destroyed. Now, what the, the, the base of the patent that I deposited on this is that we found three molecules in the algae that actually uh, uh, are selective inhibitors of these enzymes, block these enzymes for four or six hours, and so allow phenylethylamine to arrive in where it's supposed to arrive, brain, nervous system, immune system. And so we have studies on depression, on... We have amazing results on Alzheimer and Parkinson, uh, even autism. We just yeah. published a book on ADHD. We're doing a study on autism with amazing results. And uh, but now in 2016, we discovered that phenylethylamine is also the most important immune modulator, because when it attaches to immune cells, B cells, T cells, and natural killer cells are pushed out of the uh, bone marrow. And, and are pushed to circulate into organs uh, um, around the body. And that, of course, makes for the reason why, for instance, he, take this, he takes these products very rarely has any flu or cold or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the other extract is the extract of the, it's called Afamax and the extract of alpha phycocyanins. Phycocyanins are the blue pigments of, uh, um, of cyanobacteria. Uh -huh. Cyanobacteria are like spirulina or clamath or other microalgae of, of the prokaryotic uh, level, cyanobacteria level. They're, they're bacteria who photosynthesize, essentially, although they're called algae, they're not really algae. They yeah. come before algae. Okay. They're, they're photosynthetic bacteria. Yeah. Uh, and what we found is that the, the phytocyanins of this microalgae, of clamath algae, is much more powerful than the normal phycocyanins, and that's what we call it alpha phycocyanins, because it has a different structure. It has uh, some extra element in it, like phycoerythrocyanin is called, uh, which makes it up to 200 times more powerful, for instance, than the phycocyanin of spirulina. I discovered then, uh, through a friend of mine who's an alchemist, that actually this microalgae, climate lake algae, be be belongs to a, a genus is called the nostoc, yeah. and the nostoc uh, cyanobacteria. And the nostoc are, have always been the fundament, one of the fundamental uh, elements used in alchemy by alchemists, <laughs> historically. And then I asked my friend, but where the hell did they get nostoc, you know, to use it in their alchemical processes? He told me, and this is fascinating, that at some point, during the year in certain conditions in the countryside, you find bowls, bowls forms, form, yeah. and there are bowls of nostoc. Weird. Yeah. And they actually collect, the, collect them and they use them in their chemical processes and products. Wow. So that's very, that's very interesting, the connection of this kind uh, of microalgae with the alchemical tradition. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, we have, uh, again, the reason why Nutriflora is such a good probiotic is because it's grown, uh, it's a bacteria grown on the base of the microalgae. Mm -hmm. And we have studies showing that essentially these bacteria, when they're grown on this 
microalgal base become immortal. In other words, they, they keep, whereas normally with, with the broth in which they're grown, they last 48 hours and then they stopped. And in the broth, they, you put the microalgae, they keep going for three days, four days, five days, 10 days. And after 10 days, uh, technically, they can be called immortal. Yeah. They help their activity against other com competing bacteria. Um, so, yeah, it's a very, very powerful um, probiotic. Yeah, and, then, no, and, and I just remember, you know, that you were talking about how you can also use this product, you know, before you take the homeopathy, just to drive the vitality up. Because absolutely. Of the, yeah. the vitality with homeopathy, that's, that's what we need. That's our closest partner when we use homeopathy, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. In fact, I've always found that, uh, you know, the problem with homeopathy is that it needs a vitality to react, right? A vital force to react to the information, the impulse. And the problem today is that many people, their vital force is, you know, down down the ground. Yeah. And so it's it's much more difficult than, than at Hahnemann's time to have a result in within three days, like he was talking, you know, sometimes you have to go on for months and so forth. And and so by associating something that, you know, detoxifies you, because that's the other thing. We just discovered that, uh, for instance, phycocyanins absorb 30% of their weight in heavy metals. Yeah. They keep heavy metals for 30% of their weight, and then they take it away, you know, they remove it from the body. Yeah. Uh, so big detoxification, increasing vital force, then the reaction to any uh, homeopathic remedy, correct homeopathic remedy you give, it's uh, it's much faster and much deeper, yes. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fantastic. I'm here with uh, my homeopathic remedies here. Oh, okay, <laughs> what are you taking in the moment? Um, I'm taking Nat Muir. Oh yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I have like a, I have like a big, uh, a big mix. I'm yeah. the moment. These are Nariani remedies. Okay. So mix of Nariani, but. Uh, make it yourself now, or. Huh? You make it yourself now. Uh, uh, I got the medicating potencies from Nariani. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, but I'm, I'm fixing my knees and it's just. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, so okay, uh, this is so nice. It's just so nice to. I mean, and we get to talk more than we could do in any lunch break. It's uh... <laughs> yeah, but... one good thing of this uh, fake pandemic is the discovery of uh, Zoom uh, conferences and all that. You know, we we now do all our all, all our uh, classes. You know, where we teach doctors and so forth. We all do it online, and it's much easier to do. You know, because you don't have to travel, you don't have to take planes, you don't have to, you know, so. Exactly. But, you know, I just want to hear now also, because one thing that I was like, I was just so happy and just so amazed when I when I found out that you got nominated for the Nobel Prize in Medicine. But unfortunately, yeah. everything that I could read was in Italian, so I couldn't read it. So would you mind just explaining? For sure. Uh, what happened is that, uh, see, this is a, a source of a lot of polemics, even in Italy, people on the other side attack me saying that it's not true. It can be true because, you know, you don't know who are the nominated people for 50 years, except when in Italy they nominated the doctors and, and, and nurses uh, 
of, of the COVID doctors and nurses of 2020 for Nobel Prize, that was in all the newspapers, so they, they could know for you know about them, <laughs> uh, the double standard, right? What happened is that there's this um, uh, Nobel nomination can be done only by a, a certain number of people. I think there are about 2,000 in the world, people who have, you know, who are scientists uh, known in their field or in... So there's um, this uh, American doctor, his name is Roscoe Moore, who's been uh, uh, twice uh, vice general surgeon of the United States. So very important uh, level. Who is, who's the one of the people who can actually nominate? Mm -hmm. And send him, my, send him my studies, because as I said, I, I accumulated about 20 clinical studies in areas that, that is motivation. Motivation, as you wrote, is that uh, the studies I published were tackled areas where medicine has no answer, like psoriasis, Alzheimer, autism, and so forth. And so this is, uh, you know, something very important. So deserves a recognition like a Nobel nomination. And so he, he actually sent me the correspondence with the Nobel committee. And uh, yes, I've been nominated. That doesn't mean that I never expected to win, to win, of course, because only people who have backing up of big pharmaceutical companies can win. But, uh, you know, of course, the fact that uh, there was an official nomination, it was, you know, it was a, uh, 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 for me, an important recognition of the work I've done for the last 20 years. Yeah. And yeah. I keep doing because I keep working with, uh, you know, we just published two more articles on, for instance, on the one on Afamax and one on Clamine in the, on the gastrointestinal level. We, we, and we've done this with the University of Palermo and the National Center of Research of Italy, where they injected uh, this uh, very toxic substance into the gut of these mice. And when these mice were given Afamax orally, yeah. essentially almost completely uh, eliminated any damage from this uh, toxic substance. Uh, and then the other one, actually, the clamine was done to, to see the effect on, on uh, nerves, intestinal nerves, uh, cramps, you know, or spasms. Yeah. You know, actually had a very normalizing activity because it would reduce spasm but it was increased peristalsis. Yeah, right. very interesting study that uh, we're, we're coming out, uh, we just came out. So we yeah. keep going, as I said, that we have another two study going on, one on autism and one on um, another product that I made that is called multi Multinatural, which is a, a blend of algae and other extracts that has all the vitamins and all the minerals in, a, in an organic and so absorbable form. So we found a hospital in Italy that is available to tested on people to see how the nutritional profile improves after taking the product. So, yeah, uh, I, I, I don't think I'll ever, win, I'll ever win a Nobel Prize unless, you know, there's a big revolution in the world. Uh, <laughs> and the real people who actually help health are going to be recognized instead of the people who destroys it, destroy it. But uh, right now, there's no chance. It's never going to come from the top, that's for sure. It's going to come from the grassroots. And I tell you, I'm on it. I am so on teaching more people about, you know, of course, uh, uh, homeopathy, simply because the more people that can use it, uh, uh, the more people can bring it to their doctors and, and, and say that, uh, that this has helped them. But the, it's never going to come from the top. There's no need yeah, to sit yeah, there yeah. And, and, and wait for that. Okay. Okay.
we got around a lot of stuff. Do you have anything else you would like to add? I think I'm okay because uh, I also have my daughters pressing me to, to go uh, stay with her, but uh, you know, we can do it again some other we time. We can do it again, yeah. And, okay. and what's the best way of people to get uh, in touch with you if they want to get in touch with you, or if they want to read more about you or find more about you? Is it uh, uh, the Telegram chat? No, that's in Italian, but do you have the... Uh, do I have anything in English right now? No, but I'll restart one. But in any case, if somebody's interested in the products, there's a site which is called uh, www.nutrigia.world, N-U-T-R-E-G-E-A.world, okay. uh, which is the site now in the US and Canada, okay. uh, which uh, where you actually can order Clam Extra Nutriflora and Nutricol for now. Uh, and uh, we're actually registering the products in Canada. We, we've been told that uh, we have an MPN number. Okay. Uh, except uh, it's been it's been released. It's been we know it's been approved, but we're still waiting for the actual number to be given to us. But right. Right. It happened fast, and probably soon. Hopefully, I will start a site also in English. That's in and English. So. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Stefan. It was so thank nice you. to catch up with you, and I hope that we can do it again very soon. When, when they allow us to fly again, maybe we can meet in person. Oh, my God. I'm going to go on a world tour as soon as... <laughs> yes. Okay. Awesome. All right. Thank, thank you, you so much. Ciao. See you. Bye. Bye-bye.